0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. We are currently teaching through the Gospel of John. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple
1: locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you, also, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have known me, You would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And can you say, show us the Father? Or how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. That's the word of the Lord. And
0: um, Again, uh, I, like I said, my name is Josh, and I am the uh, children's pastor here, children and family pastor here. And uh, a lot of you guys know me, and you know that I am a bit of a, a science geek, I guess. And for those of you that don't know me, you're probably thinking, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> right? Like, you just look at me, you're like, okay, I get it. Um, so it's probably no big surprise that uh, one of my favorite movies that came out this last year um, was The Martian. And I, I actually read the book beforehand, and I got all excited about it. It's a great movie. But... Lots of people liked it, it wasn't just me. Lots of people that aren't really science people liked it as well. And uh, I think one of the reasons why uh, people get into a movie like that is we can definitely identify with the main character. Right, so he is stranded, he's lost on Mars with really no help of rescue. And I think a lot of us have felt that at, at a particular time. He actually says in the, in the book, uh, the main character, he says, It hit me. Mars is a barren wasteland, and I am completely alone here. I already knew that, of course, but there's a difference between knowing it and really experiencing it. All around me, there was nothing but dust, rocks, and endless empty desert in all directions. Have you f- felt that? I mean, you kind of feel that today because it's so hot outside, right? But, but beyond that, have you felt that desperation that comes from either fearing, being lost, being abandoned, or if for some of us, we've been there before. And we all know that the worst thing that could happen in our own lives is for us to be abandoned by people that we love uh, the most. And I think that fear hits us all through our lives. So we first feel it when we're young, right, when we're kids, and um, we get lost at a crowded amusement park or at the mall, and we look up, and mom and dad are gone. You know, we look around at all our friends, and we we feel that fear of not fitting in. We feel it during adulthood, when uh, early adulthood, when all of our friends start getting married, and we think, will I ever... Um, find anybody, or am I destined to spend my life alone? And we feel, feel it later in life when our kids start leaving home to start their own families and their own lives apart from us. And then there comes a time where we get older, and our health and our friend's health ha- starts failing, and um, people that are closest to us start passing on, and our lives are filled with this experience of what Mark Watney in The Martian said that life is a barren wasteland and I'm completely alone here. Don't we feel that? And Jesus' earliest followers in this passage felt that. They felt exactly that. So in John chapter 14, we find a group of disciples that have very troubled hearts. And we know that because twice in the passage, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. So he knows what they're feeling. And um, last week, uh, we looked at, at uh, the, this, the beginning of this upper room discourse where Jesus is with his disciples. He's washing their feet in chapter 13. He is explaining to them that he's soon gonna be leaving them and they don't know exactly what that means. They don't know that just hours from now he will be betrayed and he'll be executed. He tells them in uh, verse 33 of the last chapter that where he is going, they cannot come. And so these are dark times for Jesus and his disciples. Um, He tells them, again, though, in this passage, let not your hearts be troubled. And so what we want to look at this morning is what are these reassurances that Jesus is giving his disciples in the midst of these dark times? What reassurance, what encouragement is he giving to their troubled souls? Because I think that that encouragement can encourage us this morning when we feel like we're abandoned, or we feel that fear of being abandoned. Some of us even feel like we've been abandoned by God. And so this morning, we're just gonna look at three ways that um, in this passage, from this passage, that Jesus brings comfort to troubled hearts. So first, he um, offers the way to God. Second, he offers power from God. And third, he offers a home with God. So Jesus offers the way to God, power from God, and a home with God. Let me pray. As we dig in, Father, thank you um, so much for bringing us here this morning, Lord. And we know that each of us has been brought here by you for a reason. Lord, and I pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would speak to us through your son, Jesus, that these words would be encouragement to troubled souls. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, so take a look. First off, Jesus brings comfort by offering the way to God. So in this passage we see that Jesus is not only a way to God, but he is the way to God. Take a look at verse four. It says, "And uh, Jesus says here, "And you know the way to where I'm going." Thomas said to him, "Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way?" Jesus said to him, "I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also." From now on, You do know him and have seen him. And so here in this passage, this is kind of a well-known passage showing us that Jesus not only claims to be a way to God, he claims to be the way to God, right? The only way to God. And this is actually, this is a tough truth for both us Christians and non-Christians to accept, isn't it? This is a tough truth. And, And I get it. We like options. I like options, right? So I like the fact, I really like the fact that for lunch today, we can drive just two minutes down the road, and there are hundreds and hundreds of menu options at dozens of different restaurants, from food all around the world, and I can get pretty much whatever I want. So there are many ways to a full stomach, right? I like the fact that I, like the fact that I can hop on uh, just about any freeway here in Southern California. I can hop on the 91, I can hop on the 60, I can hop on several other freeways, and I can end up in Los Angeles. Um, If I would want to, right? Um, I like that. I like having that option. So why doesn't that work with God? Why aren't there many paths to God? Why would Jesus make such an exclusive claim right here, exclusive truth claim? And to say that there's only one way, doesn't that seem a little bit narrow or closed-minded or even for some, you know, you're saying that other people's tightly held religious beliefs are wrong. Doesn't that border on bigotry? And I don't think so. It only does if you don't think about it too deeply, right? It only it only may, that, that um, only seems narrow if you don't think about it too, too carefully. For those people who say all exclusive truth claims are untrue, they really haven't thought about what they're saying exactly, right? <laughs> think about that for just a second. Those who say all exclusive truth claims are untrue, have not thought deeply about what they're saying. You can't say the only rule to following God is that there are no rules because that's a rule itself, right? (laughs) Or you can't say something like the only path to God is that there are many paths to God. It's completely self-contradictory, right? The fact of the matter is that all claims about truth are exclusive claims. You can't get around it. There's no way around it. So when Jesus tells us that there is only one way to God, that no one comes to the Father except through him. He is giving us an exclusive claim, but so is everybody else. And so we have to weigh, um, the, the, we have to, to weigh his claim on the basis of um, what he is actually saying here. And so remember what's going on here in the context, though, because I think it's really, really important. It's easy to pull this verse out of context. Jesus is not having... Just a theological discussion, trying to get into a deep theological discussion with his followers. What's going on here, right? He's trying to comfort them. He's not trying uh, just to make their heads hurt. He knows that their hearts hurt right now, and he's trying to provide them with um, some reasons why they can trust him. It's their darkest hour. We're just hours before the cross. And Jesus tells his disciples that he's gonna be betrayed, that he'll be leaving them, and he tells um, them that he is the only way to God. And he wants to comfort them by telling them that. But how does this, how, how would that comfort them? How would that bring comfort by him saying that he is the only way to God, that he is the only way to salvation? And I think it should be a great comfort. I want you to imagine for a second that you have a rare and incurable disease. And you're on your death bed. And as your heart is beating its last, a medical team rushes in with the only cure. They assure you that this is the only medicine, the only medication that is ever going to work. What do you do? Well, you don't accuse the doctors of being close-minded and narrow, right? It's definitely what you don't do. You actually have greater confidence in their work because they're coming in and they're saying, this is it, this is your only shot. And so of course you're going to accept it. Imagine that you're lost at sea in a powerful storm. And that last song, I loved it, it fit perfectly with, with this. And the waves are raging, all hope is lost, and just as you gasp for what is gonna be your last breath, you see a lifeboat. You're gonna grab onto that lifeboat without question because it's the only way that you're gonna be saved. And this is what the gospel is like, and this is how Jesus is graciously telling us and his disciples right here, don't waste your breath looking for salvation anywhere else. It's only found here. Grab hold of me. And so Jesus brings comfort by offering the way to God, and he can do that because he is God come to men. I want you to take a look at verse 8. In verse 8, Philip said to him, "'Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us.' And Jesus said to him, "'Have I been with you so long, "'and you still do not know me, Philip?' Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So if working our way to God was the way that a relationship with God works, then it would make sense that there would be multiple ways to God, right? I mean, it would make sense that if our relationship was based on what we do, then maybe a really good Buddhist or a faithful Muslim or a really nice Mormon could find a path to God. But that's not how it works, and Jesus is telling us that here. He's telling us that we are lost in our sin, all of us. It doesn't matter our background. And the only way for us to be saved is if God would reach out to us. If God would come down, if if God would come down in human form, take on flesh, and He would say to us, like Jesus says in verse eleven, "Believe in Me, that I am in the Father, and the Father is in Me." And that's what this church exists to do, right? That's what Cub Grace is here to do. It's to invite you to believe this man, Jesus, right? To take hold of Him, to trust in Him as He says. I'm the only way. There's no other. We we long to be a light in this community so that um, the the gospel can be seen so people, as they're wandering around in sinful darkness, they, they see the light of Jesus working through many people here. And so Jesus brings comfort by offering the way to God. And secondly, he brings comfort by offering power from God, by offering power from God. So remember this context, again, We'll keep coming back to this. The night before, Jesus was betrayed and crucified is where we're at. Jesus is greatly troubled. Uh, It says that in the last uh, chapter, uh, verse 21 of chapter 13. And he's telling his disciples he's leaving. Where he is going, they cannot come. And at this point in the disciples' life, they believe that they are at the end, the tragic end of a failed ministry, not at the glorious beginning of a world-changing movement of the kingdom of God. They feel like that they're at the end and not at the beginning. And so what does Jesus give to comfort these men in the midst of their despair? He gives them, um, he, he tells them about the power that's offered through God. First through prayer and then through the spirit. So two ways. Take a look at verse 12. He says, truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And I I don't want to imagine for a second that any of us are stupid enough to believe that Jesus is saying right here that we can ask him anything and that he's just going to, like a genie, magically give us all of our wishes, right? If that were the case, you know what, your first wish is always for more wishes, right? You know, that's like the number one rule when you're dealing with a genie, okay? You always ask for more wishes. But that's not what he's, that's not what he's saying right here. You know, and, and we know that, and he actually qualifies, if you look, he qualifies his promise to act in response to pr- our prayer with that, um, that, that condition that we ask in his name. So that would be really important to figure out what, what he means by that, right? And at, at a lot of times when we come to this and we read this passage, we think, great, We can have anything that we ask for, but we have to ask in his name. It's kind of like, it's kind of disappointing. It's kind of like the conditions or it's kind of like the fine print um, that is way at the bottom of that, uh, you know, that free cruise uh, certificate that you get in the mail, right? It's like, oh, well, you, you can ask for anything, but these conditions apply. And it's really not that at all. And I hope that we would see that. This week, this really hit me hard as I was studying this. Um, Look at what he's saying here. I don't think a lot of us have considered, I know I didn't, consider the depth of what he's saying here. So he's saying in verse 12, take a look at it again. He's saying in verse 12 that we can trust or believe in him and know him so well, have such a deep relationship with him that we would know what he would do if he were in our place and what he would ask for and what he would do, we can then speak for him in our place. We are like, um, he, he is the master and we are like the servant that he trusts so much to speak for him um, that when we do, when we ask for those things that he would ask for, we have the confidence that he'll do it. And this just blew me away, this really blew me away this week, um, it, it's so amazing, and it made me think, what are the types of things that I'm praying for? (laughs) Am I praying for the types of things that Jesus would pray for if he were in my shoes, if he were in my place? And I don't think so. Um, But I know some of you guys are are there and and that's why we, we live in community so that we can help each other grow in this area. I know for some of you, you think, I pray for things all the time that are right in line with God's will. You know, I pray for my kids that they would obey and they don't, (laughs) you know, or I pray for um, family members to come to know Christ and they don't. You know, I pray for the poor, I pray for the sex trade in Cambodia to collapse. Why doesn't God answer these prayers? And to that I would just say, wait, keep praying. Because he will accomplish his purpose. He has promised that. A lot of times we're impatient. Keep praying and put yourself in positions where you can have God work through you to answer those prayers, right? So if it's Cambodia that you're praying for, go to Cambodia. We're planning a short-term team um, that, that'll go in just a few, a few months, this next year. And so, God, um, so Jesus brings uh, comfort to these men and to us by offering power from God through prayer and then through the Spirit. Take a look at verse 15. Take a look at verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is crazy. And every time I think about this truth, it... it, you know, my brain explodes a little bit, just a tiny bit. Okay, so in God's wisdom, in, in the wisdom of God the Father, he decided that Christians, you and I, could do greater works by being filled with the Spirit, God the Spirit, than we could if we were standing next to God the Son, Jesus. All right. so again, In the wisdom of God the Father, he decided that Christians could do greater works by being filled with God the Holy Spirit than they could by being in the same room with God the Son, by being with Jesus himself. We have this incredible access to God the Father because of what Jesus has done. And my question for us is, are we taking advantage of it? Are we taking advantage of this this privilege? Are we seizing upon it? How often... Do these words of Jesus in this passage, in verse 17, fill your mind about the Spirit of God? How often does it does your is your mind filled with this? You know Him, for He dwells with you, and He will be in you. And so the question is, you know, how is how as Christians can we walk in the Spirit? What can we do? How can we walk in the Spirit? How can we f- be filled in this, with the Spirit? And this could be a whole message um, uh, itself. But I just want to offer a few things. It's not hard. God is not making it that hard on us. Um, He wants us. This is something that he wants for us. And so the first thing that we can do is just ask. So Jesus says, ask anything in my name and I'll give it to you. If you ask to be filled with the Spirit, that is something that we can have pretty good confidence that God wants to do. And then um, Romans 8 tells us to set our mind on the things of the Spirit. Colossians 3 says to fill your mind with the Spirit or sorry, to fill your mind with scripture in, in order to walk with the Spirit. Um, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 and Ephesians 4, it says to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. So as the Spirit is kind of uh, poking at your heart and saying, hey, you know, talk to this person or do this thing, that we would listen to that prompting and that we would follow him in that. Or when he's convicting us of sin and he says, hey, you know, I want you to give this up, I want you to stop this, that we would listen to that call and that we would be sensitive to his call in our life. And we learn to do this through discipleship, right? So discipleship is just learning to do everything that Christ commanded through the power of the Spirit. And so that's what we long to do together in community. And that's why we, uh, you know, the, the announcements at the end of service today are gonna be ways to do that. So Jesus not only brings us comfort by showing the way to God and how to walk with God in prayer and through the spirit. But finally, he brings comfort by offering a home with God. I want you to take a look. We're going to end here at the beginning of the passage. So take a look at verse one. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that i go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And I'm going to break some hearts this morning, I know, because I know a lot of people love this passage. It is one of the most commonly misunderstood verses in the New Testament, though, two two verses, verses two and three. Um, And stay with me because I I promise you that the the truth um, within the context of this passage is so much better than than the misunderstanding. So the misunderstanding is that verse two and three somehow mean that um, after Jesus' death, burial, uh, resurrection, and then ascension, that he's gonna go up to heaven and somehow make us um, mansions. You know, and you think, well, you know, like maybe the carpentry skill is gonna come in handy. You know, he's probably a really good woodworker. I don't know. Um, There's also the King James translation of this passage inserts the word mansion, um, which has kind of led to all kinds of like crazy um, thinking about like, oh, you know, who's going to get the biggest mansion out here? But we even sung in children's a couple weeks ago, <laughs> there's this there's this children's song about like a big, big house and you can play football and my son loves it. He absolutely loved it. But uh, this week studying this, I was just like, no, this, in the context, this is not talking about talking about a home so take a look in the context Jesus is not talking about preparing a place by going away to heaven not in this context he does go to he talks about those sorts of things in other passages but not in this one he his going away is going away to the cross and when you see that in verse uh, chapter 13 verse 36 if you take a look uh, look back just verse 36 it's a couple um, you know verses up from from where we are Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And in that, he's talking about going to the cross and how Peter was not gonna go to the cross now, but Peter would end up being um, martyred and he would go to a cross and be hung upside down. And so we know that he's not talking about going away to heaven here, he's talking about going to the cross and he's talking about coming back. So in the context um, he's gonna return through his resurrection. If you, Take a look at verse 18. So chapter 14, verse 18, this is part of our reading for this morning. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am from the Father and you in me and I in you. And so through Christ's resurrection here, we are gonna have a loving relationship with him and the Father where they will make their home with us right now. Look at verses 21 to 23. Take a look because he continues and he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That word home is the same word that's in verse two where Jesus goes and prepares a place or a home or a dwelling for us. That's what he's going to do. He's going to the cross in order to receive us home right now. And you can have that. I want you to listen to what um, one 19th century minister said about home. Okay? This is what he says about home. He says, Home is the one place in all the world where hearts are sure of each other, it's the place of confidence, it's the place where we tear off that mask of guarded and suspicious coldness which the world forces us to wear in self-defense and where we pour out the unreserved communications of full and confiding hearts. It's the spot where expressions of tenderness gush out without any sensation of awkwardness and without any dread of ridicule. This is the type of relationship with God that Christianity has to offer. It's the type of relationship where we are invited to take off the, this mask and come home. And this is the invitation this morning that Jesus is uh, inviting you. He's invi- it's an invitation to come home. He, is, he has prepared the way through the cross, through his death, through his resurrection, and you can come home right now. You can come home a- as we pray and as we take communion and as we sing these last two songs. You just need to confess your sin to him, accept his life for yours, and enjoy your homecoming. And that's that's it. And this is the type of relationship that we, as Christians, grow in through discipleship, through this process of discipleship. And discipleship is just learning to be at home with God. Um, It's us growing together in the experience of the reality of his presence, Um, And this is why this church exists. This is why we read scripture together. This is why we worship together on Sunday mornings. This is why we pray together. This is why we meet during the week for meals and and small groups. And this is why we share the gospel together with one another. It's why we laugh together. It's why we weep together. We are learning to live in the reality of the presence of a God who has made his home with us through Jesus. And this is why we uh, take communion together too. And uh, the disciples here in, this, in our passage, they knew that fear of being abandoned. And many of us know that fear too. Many of us have been abandoned in our lives. Many of us have felt like life is just a barren wasteland and I'm completely alone here. But I'll tell you, nobody knows abandonment more than Jesus himself. At the cross, Jesus felt the weight of eternal abandonment that was meant for you and me. And it was way worse than we can imagine. So much worse. Listen to how one pastor describes the weight of Christ's abandonment for us on the cross. He says, if after service, some Sunday morning, one of the members of the church comes up to me and says, I never want to see you or talk to you again, I'll feel pretty bad. But if today my wife comes to me and says, I never want to see you or talk to you again, that's a lot worse The longer the love, the deeper the love, the greater the torment of its loss. But Christ's forsakenness, this loss, which was between the Father and the Son, who had loved each other from all eternity, Jesus, the maker of this world, was being unmade. Why? Jesus was experiencing Judgment Day. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't a rhetorical question the answer to that is for you, and for me, and for us. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would never have to be. The judgment that should have fallen on us fell on Jesus instead. And as we take communion this morning, remember this is a family meal for those of us who have come home to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So as men come forward and they're passing out the bread and the cup during the last couple songs. If you're a part of this family um, and you've trusted your life and you have come home, to, uh, your, your, God has made his home with you, um, then we would invite you to take the bread and take the cup and rejoice with us. Celebrate with us. Celebrate the, fat, uh, the fact that Jesus has prepared a home for you to dwell in the presence of God forever. Let's pray. Um, Father, we are just so thankful that um, in the midst of a life that's hard and difficult and, many, uh, and in many instances uh, we feel alone, we feel abandoned, Lord, that you through your son have made a way for us to come home, that you through your son have made your home with us, and we just uh, celebrate that fact um, right now during communion. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at covengrace.org slash menifee.